most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Raybon, joined by my dude and one of the top fantasy rankers in the world, Sean Turner, and today we are talking best ball. Sean, what's going on? Uh, how you feeling about best ball? You got a bunch of teams in already? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been cranking away. Um, although this week, it is Scott Fishball week. Um, are you even in it this year? I'm not going to play in it. Oh, okay. I, I, like, <laughs> every year I, I, I join it, and then like I just yeah. like, kind of, I'm not fully paying attention to the draft, and then I'm not fully paying attention to my team. <laughs> And it's like yeah. such, it's like the one league that's so different from every other league. So yeah, I'm going to just sit this I, one out. Yeah. Thank you. We're, we're in round seven. It's been a few days. We're around seven. So we're, we're trying along, you know, slowly here, but it, I, I love it. I love the variety uh, the different strategy, but um, outside of this, yeah, been really focused on best ball, uh, have quite a few teams. So uh, happy to dive in on our best ball tips. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been drafting since like March, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> Uh, before we jump in and we're going to give you guys some tips uh, before we even get started, like on best ball generally, then we're going to jump into uh, players from each position that we like. And we're going to close it out with something that a lot of people always ask about, which is stacks. So we'll each give two of our favorite stacks. So you're going to get uh, players, you're going to get stacks, you're going to get tips, everything you need to uh, crush it in best ball this season. Before we get going, just want to remind you guys. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and review if you enjoy the pod. And because we are calling out our favorite uh, five-star review right here on the show. And the winner gets a free year of an Action Network Pro subscription. This week's winner is IT Guru 28. Uh, we really appreciate the kind words, IT Guru 28. Hit up podcast at actionnetwork.com to claim your free year of Action Network Pro. Again, that's IT Guru. 28. All right, let's jump right in to our tips. Uh, Sean, get us started here. What, uh, what are you kind of looking at in terms of strategy when you're approaching best ball? So, I mean, the overall tip you should take away is your, your main goal in best ball is to maximize the ceiling of your team. Uh, so all three of my tips will stem from this. And the, the reason for that is unlike, you know, season long head to head formats where every week you just need to outscore your one opponent. Uh, in best ball, you have to outscore your entire league. So um, you're going to want to be more risky, go for upside. So that's my first tip is you want to target players that have built-in upside and or high variance players. So by built-in upside, uh, you can get creative on what that means to you. Um, but usually when I think of built-in upside, I think of rookies. Um, since their range of outcomes is fairly large when they enter the league, we don't really know how good or bad they will be um, entering the league. So they, by nature, they have some pretty built-in upside. Um, or running backs like Tony Pollard, who is explosive enough to have spike weeks even when Zeke uh, is healthy, but his built-in upside is he's a top five running back if Zeke were to ever miss time. Um, or players who could break out after a disappointing rookie season. So guys like 
Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Kadarius Tony, um, basically anybody that can significantly outscore their ADP. So you got to get creative and, you know, looking at guys that have built an upside. And by high, high variance players, I just mean players who are volatile week to week, um, where they can post a gigantic score one week and maybe the next week they put up a dud. Think of wide receivers like Deshaun Jackson, Tyler Lockett, Will Fuller, or Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, those big play threat type of guys. Um, and, and the reason is, I mean, whenever they have a dud, you're not going to get their score. But when they have a big week, you get it. And you don't need to figure out what week that'll be. Um, so that's the beauty of best ball. And that's why those types of players are more valuable. Yeah, I really like that one. Um, you know, that I mean, this is what best ball is all about. You know, that's a great breakdown of, of how you got to look at the ceilings. Um, so I, I totally agree. I think that's the number one thing people have to take away from it. Uh, my first tip is don't handcuff. Um, and this is something that if you're kind of more familiar or, or you started out playing just traditional redraft, you know, you might spend a high pick on a running back. You want some insurance. Um, you start handcuffing uh, or maybe you do something like, a, you know, a Kamara and Ingram or, or something like that. Murray, and I know, was in the years past as well. But in best ball, you know, to your point, you're trying to maximize your ceiling here. So you have to think of kind of telling a story with your lineup and looking at how things will play out over a full year. And so if you draft a running back early and, you know, you don't have, you shouldn't need to handcuff him. If you have to handcuff that running back, your team is probably already sunk because (laughs) that's just the nature of best ball. That's why with best ball, you're you're usually drafting, you know, maybe 10, 20, 50, a hundred, even more teams, depending on how, you know, how much of a degenerate you are, um, but you're really playing a long game. You're playing the, the exposure game. You're playing the portfolio game. And so on an individual roster, you know, if I have Aaron Jones, I don't want AJ Dillon. If I have AJ Dillon, I don't want Aaron Jones. You know, I, I don't even want like Benny Snell if I have Najee Harris, because I need to maximize every roster slot for upside and doing, you know, handcuffing is just going to, Essentially, it's going to raise my floor, but it's going to lower my ceiling. And we're instead, I'm essentially using two slots for one, uh, you know, kind of one startable player where I need to do that per slot. I, I can't use two slots on, on one startable player. So um, don't not handcuffing, I think, is really important. And, and, you know, to a lesser extent, just in general, kind of not really uh, rostering those reverse correlations. Like you don't really want to do quarterback running back on the mm. same team um, and, and things like that. Obviously you can stack. We'll talk about that. I think you're going to talk about that next, but um, yeah. d- not handcuffing is, is a big one for me. Yeah. I love that call because, you know, handcuffing, it can be a, a decent strategy in head to head because you're trying to raise your team's floor, but in best ball, it's go big or go home, baby. So why, you know, <laughs> mitigate your risk by doing that. So love that call. Um, so tip number two for me um, is, you know, stacking one to three pass catchers, with one to three of your quarterbacks. So, you know, by doing this, you significantly raise your weekly and overall ceiling of your team. So you're going to have, you know, two to four players every week where if they have a spike game, that's going to correlate with each other. Um, And this could also correlate over the course of the season. So if you take Jared Goff as your QB 26 and he finishes as a QB 12, uh, it's very likely that Amon Rensley Brown PJ Hawkinson, other Lions players probably outperformed their ADP as well. Like that's how Goff had a good season. 
Um, therefore, if you draft like an Amon Ross St. Brown and a TJ Hawkinson earlier in the draft, you should absolutely sort of go out of your way to get Jared Goff. Um, and I'm not saying take him a couple rounds earlier than you should go, but if you're in kind of like a toss-up situation, you should obviously kind of go with uh, stacking your players. So um, I, I kind of use the, the first few rounds to dictate which offenses I might want to stack. Or later on, you can get some pretty cheap stacks, which we'll talk about. But uh, this is another sneaky way to really raise the ceiling of your team. Yeah, and this that's probably, you know, I, I like to do it with as like all of my quarterbacks if I can. I usually yeah, draft two. Yeah. So like, yeah, like I, I, I totally agree. I try to do it as like with pass catching as much as I can and then just try to build a, a good running back uh, core around there that, that isn't correlated, you know, right. to the to the pass passing games, I guess you could say that I'm stacking. Um, my tip number two is aim for 16 full games of upside and, or just the maximum amount of games of upside that you can get. And what I mean by that is any game that a player is going to be, uh, you know, in a starting role in a major role is what I consider, you know, maximizing a game of upside. So uh, this applies in a lot of different ways for for one means I don't to draft players that are coming into the season injured. You know, we talk about this a lot. And even in redraft, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but in, in, a, in something like best ball, it's like, I don't want who's going to miss two games from suspension. I don't want a guy that's going to miss games to start the season. Yes, I, I know that, you know, th- those guys, they're not going to count to my roster early in the year. But um, we got to remember, they're going to they're gonna be volatile even once they return from injury so Mm -hmm. they're still not going to give me it's not like they're just guaranteed to give me all startable weeks even once they come back you know guys i'm I'm thinking about michael gallup i'm thinking about chris godwin you know maybe sterling shepherd maybe michael thomas guys like that um i really don't want to kind of invest in those guys because of the uncertainty because i don't want to give up games because games are so important in best ball, you only have a, a fixed number of roster spots and you cannot IR somebody if they're hurt. You cannot mm-hmm. drop somebody if they're hurt. So I need 16 games. Uh, and when I say 16, because, you know, no, seven weeks, uh, 18 isn't counting. So uh, I know it's a 17 game season, but I'm saying 16 games of upside. And this applies at quarterback as well, because I, what I see a lot of people doing, and I think, you know, even I've made this mistake in the past of kind of drafting a quarterback that, you know, could win the starting job at some point in the year. Mm-hmm. I really don't think you need to do that in, in best ball um, unless you, you really think that quarterback has a chance to start like week two, you know, like, like it, because if like, I rather get like a Jared Goff, somebody that's kind of guaranteed to start all yeah. year, than you know, taking a chance on like a Desmond Ritter or somebody like that, or even the opposite side of it of a Marcus Mariota, who we don't know if he would start, you know, he might have some big weeks while he's in there, but can he keep that job? all season. So I, I like to take the unsexy kind of guys that are, are more kind of locked in to their starting roles, you know, that uh, Jared Goff, Zach Wilson, can't really see any reason why he would be benched. Um, even if he's really bad, you know, guys like that, because I'm really relying on my QB one to give me uh, a lot of production. And so my QB two, I just need him to make sure that he's giving me solid production when my quarterback one is on by and just giving me a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, of a chance on, on weeks my quarterback one might be average. Um, and so I, I just need the games again. So um, aim for your 16 full games of, of a season uh, and, and try to maximize your upside that way. Don't give away games. Don't give away potential, you know, 
bench deal zeros just because a guy's not even in the starting lineup. Um, so that's yeah. how I play it. Yeah, I love that call. And, you know, th- this is a strategy I do use sort of in um, season-long formats because I always say if, if I draft Alvin Kamara and he's out the first six games, I could probably survive that. And I'm really just trying to maximize my, my team's ceiling in the fantasy playoffs. And I think I can still make the playoffs even without Alvin Kamara. Uh, but like you said, uh, in baseball, every single week counts. Um, so you don't want to forfeit games. Um, unless you're one of those tournaments, you know, the million dollar grand prize or something, maybe in those formats, you are trying to maximize uh, the last few weeks. Uh, but yeah, great advice. Um, and then, you know, for my third and final tip, it's all about roster construction. I, I think that's your third tip too, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we could probably just go through each position, um, just saying kind of like uh, how we approach it in general, like every draft is going to be different. Um, but, you know, when it comes to your average, you know, draft three, draft 18 players, start one quarterback, start two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, one flex. I like to draft two quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like you said, you run it, you want to draft two quarterbacks that you can project safely for 16 or more games. Um, So I I don't get crazy there. You don't have to draft early. You just want two good quarterbacks. Um, I rarely take three. Sometimes um, you know, if you take a gamble on a guy, like you said, like, uh, I wouldn't do it, but a Mitch Trubisky, a player, you can't bank on starting the whole season. You're going to have to take another quarterback. Or if you screw up and take two QBs that have the same bye week, <laughs> you got to take a third quarterback. But in general, I try to draft two exactly. And I would, I would just add on to that. And like, if I'm drafting a Mitch Trubisky, uh, a week one starter that doesn't have job security, uh, Marcus Mariota is another one. I think that comes to mm-hmm. mind. Mate, whoever starts in Seattle as well, um, still drafting two quarterbacks because what I'm saying is that, okay, this is a bet on Marcus Mariota right. starting six, 17 games. This is a bet on Mitch, Mitch Trubisky. And it's a low risk, you know, it's, it's kind of like a low risk bet. You know, it's, it's a QB two. Obviously things could go wrong. Maybe, maybe he loses his job in week eight, but you still have a QB one that, should be decent enough to still carry you through the, those weeks. So I'm actually, I really, cause I think you, a lot of times what can happen is you can compound the issue to it. Like if let's say you hit on Mitch Trubisky, right? Like then you don't need that third quarterback. Right. I, I so I, I actually always um, kind of draft two quarterbacks and just treat it as a bet. Now I don't like to go there, but if I do, right. that's what I'm going to do. Cause I think if I, if I hit on true, if I hit on my QB one, and I hit on Trubisky or Mariota, then I, that third roster spot is wasted. So I'm 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 actually a pretty strict uh, two QB guy. Yeah, makes well. To be honest, when you're drafting Trubisky that late, <laughs> like there's not not much else you can do. Right, uh, yeah, but yeah. I, I agree that that kind of goes with the go big or go home. Yeah. Um, aspect, and you could you could do the other way. Uh, a guy like Desmond Ritter who probably won't start week one, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but he has the potential to start earlier in the season. So your first quarterback would have to carry you <laughs> until their bye week. And then you're kind of banking on Ritter having the starting job by then. So you can go both ways, but either way, it definitely goes with the go big or go home strategy that you should have when you're drafting a best ball. Yep. Uh, do you uh, want to keep going? Rocking yeah. Rocking? So, yeah, yeah. So running backs, um, I typically like to draft about five exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in head to head formats, you know me, like I like to have my entire bench full of just, you know, high upside backup running backs ready to go. Uh, but you can't do that in best ball. Like you said, <laughs> you know, if you have Alexander Madison on your uh, team um, and he's turning out zero points, that's useless. Um, so he'll only provide you value if and when Dalvin Cook misses time 
that's a bit dicey in best ball. I certainly think you could draft one of those players, uh, but you want to draft three to five running backs that you can kind of count on, you know, at least 10 games of production each. Um, doesn't mean you need to draft them early. Um, I, I don't think you need to draft three running backs really early in the draft, but you got to be smart about it. And typically if you draft five running backs um, and you're smart about it, that should be fine. I, I don't, when you draft more than that, you're kind of just, lowering your team ceiling a little bit um you could draft you know three or four and just be super aggressive that's one way to do it but in general i think five is the magic number for me yeah same way I, i'm i'm pretty strict on roster construction with with, with that so i'll get into it more but uh mm-hmm. I, I totally agree and then you know wide receiver i think this is the position you you want to build out the most depth um so i typically have seven to eight wide receivers sometimes i go up to 10 depending on how things are going but you know, wide receivers are pretty volatile um, week to week. So since you have to start three of them each week, uh, it's it's smart to have a lot of different options. Um, and any excess high scores that you have can be used in your flex. So uh, just having a ton of wide receivers is just a good strategy in general. And that's a position I do like to target early on. You know, we talk about it. It's, it's really hard to kind of hit on these lower end receivers later in the draft um it's it's really hard for them to really step up in terms of a running back you know a backup running back just needs one injury and they can you know become an rb1 or rb2 wide receiver it's a little bit more difficult so i I do like to invest early and often in wide receiver because you really want to fill out you know seven to nine wide receivers in most builds yeah uh i totally agree that's like that's that's the position that matters the most because it's it's you're not going to find those like those like a third backup running back is not going to like unless somebody gets hurt they they're not going to give you like one of those big games you need for best ball whereas like a mm-hmm. third or fourth receiver could so yeah you, you like those those draft picks are important too like later on in the draft i think a lot of people are just kind of going through the motions sometimes but <laughs> those picks yeah. are, are really important yep absolutely and then tight end um I, you know i think two to three makes sense um you know maybe you want to get a top five or seven tight end early, and then you could get two cheaper ones later. Uh, but the, the tight end position is sort of touchdown dependent, which does bode well for best ball. You don't need to kind of figure out when a guy like a Hunter Henry will score a touchdown. You, you just get the spike weeks when they happen. So it's kind of nice in that regard. Um, you know, tight end two, three kind of guys can be frustrating in season long leagues, but in best ball, uh, it's pretty easy to kind of have, have a nice little two to three tight end combo where you don't really need to spend up for two of them. Um, so I, I probably like to spend up for one and then just try to find two diamonds in the rough. So I, I usually end up with two to three tight ends. How about you? Yeah, I'm usually going for two. Oh, okay. um, it's kind of the same. It's kind of that same strategy uh, of thing as quarterbacks, where it's like I I'm really relying on my t- tight end number one. You know, if I if I whiff on my tight end number one, I'm probably not winning a best ball week, right? You know, it's right. just like so my tight end two is just kind of to give me, you know, not no tight end is going to have like every single week 100 percent uh start of a week so just trying to get through and, and kind of covers for some of those you know the few down weeks that they do have in the bye week um if i taking a third one because tight ends average fewer points than any other position i just feel like it's kind of it, it's kind of the same thing as taking like a third quarterback it's like you shouldn't yeah. need it if you do you're probably not in a position to win your league anyway which means you don't need it so um that that kind of goes into my third tip which is I'm actually pretty strict two quarterback, two tight end. And but my my advice on top of that is go into the last two rounds of the draft 
like make sure if, even if you do um differ a little bit in in your philosophy and maybe you do want a third tight end maybe you do want mm-hmm. a third quarterback definitely don't take that player before the last two rounds like i always have that maximum roster flexibility um going into the last few rounds so you can look at your roster and say if you do have to you know deviate from the norm with your roster construction you have the flexibility to do it based on what you've built so far so right. let's say you know let's say like you said sometimes you can do four running backs like if i if i took running backs in rounds one through four maybe let's say i i'm i'm counting on those guys like i have four guys in the top four rounds i'm i probably don't need that running back five right. so I don't want to like take a, you know, take some guy in the 13th or 14th round just to have that fifth running back. If I, if I'm, if I know that I'm going to get to the like round 17 and 18 and say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't need another running back. Maybe because I waited till the fifth round to take a receiver. Maybe I want to go with, you know, eight receivers instead of in uh, or nine receivers here in this spot. So I think, um, I, I think kind of maintaining your roster flexibility with an eye on always being able to maximize your receivers, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, yep. um, is key because I think, so I, you don't want to have too many quarterbacks. You don't want to have more than two quarterbacks. You don't want to have more than two tight ends. And you definitely don't want to have more than five running backs. I've taken six on occasion, but I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go into the last two rounds with, um, with, with six. You know, I want right. to have that opportunity to look at my roster and say, you know, I'm sitting there and I have the choice between maybe a running back or a receiver. And I say, okay, maybe this team's like fourth wide receiver. Like maybe I, I can get like a guy, like, I don't know, like on a, on a really good passing team and get their like third or fourth wide receiver cheap. And I already have the quarterback. I'm saying, okay, this might actually mm-hmm. give my lineup more upside here than, uh, you know, just taking another running back who I don't think is really going to be useful anyway, or something like that. Or so I always, always have that flexibility um, and just build the core of your team kind of early and then leave those last couple of rounds, uh, you know, for maximum flexibility. Don't kind of paint yourself into a corner with, with, you know, two, three quarterbacks, three tight ends, you know, too many running backs or anything like that. Yep, exactly. All right. Let's uh, let's jump into uh, each position and uh, we'll just talk briefly about a player that we kind of like, particularly for best ball, um, a.k.a. a uh, uh, Hot, well, guy, we expect to be a little bit high variance or high ceiling or both. Um, Sean, start us out with quarterback. So um, obviously on my uh, our last pod, I, I made it very clear. Jalen Hurts is my main QB target in all formats. He's phenomenal for best ball. Uh, but I did notice that Tom Brady, his ADP is slipping a bit in best ball. Um, his ADP is down to QB 10. Um, and I, I think people are correct in sort of downgrading him with Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski being gone. Uh, Chris Godman, Godwin might not be available in the first few games. Bruce Arians and Pro Bowl left guard Ali Marpet retired. There's a lot of things to be concerned about, but, you know, he might not put up the same numbers as last year, but he'll still be good. And just because he doesn't have rushing upside doesn't mean that Brady doesn't have weekly upside. He, he was the QB2 in best ball points added last year. Um, he's going to get you a ton of three touchdown games, 400-yard passing games. So he does have a high weekly ceiling. But also, I think this offense is going to be much cheaper to stack this year and more concentrated. I'll talk about later when we talk about the stacks. But, you know, uh, Mike Evans should have a big year. Um, uh, Russell Gage uh, could, you know, fill in the Antonio Brown role. Uh, Brown role. Cam Brate uh, is going to step in for Gronk. So I think this offense as a whole is going to be cheaper to stack, starting with Tom Brady at QB10. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seems silly. And I, I think, you know, I kind of want us to get some angry Tom this year. 
uh, because, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if you've been reading ESPN has been doing like the, they kind of interview a bunch of personnel executives and, and, and people around the league and get these top 10 lists of each position. And for quarterback, Tom Brady was fourth. He, he was behind Rodgers, Mahomes, and Josh Allen. So, like, I think we could get some angry Tom this year. You know, like, he's QB4 in those rankings. He's QB10 in, in fantasy. Like, the disrespect is crazy right now. And this, could, this might be his last season, so that's even more motivation, right? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he retired and came back, so he's clearly got the urge. Like, he's not, you know, he's not satisfied yet. So Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, anytime you can get the guy like QB10 <laughs> who has like two QB1 overall and you know, quarterbacks score the most points, so therefore, like fantasy number one overall, um, upside, I, I think, uh, I think you take it. Yeah, uh, for me, Daniel Jones, uh, he's the QB21 in, in best ball ADP. Uh, I, I talked about this on, on a few pods here, but he was 18th in points per game among quarterbacks last year, he had you know, about just under 30% of the time he had a, a 21 plus point game. Uh, but then there was a big gap where the rest of his games were 16, you know, 16 and a half points or fewer. So, you know, betting on Daniel Jones this year, the line is better. Uh, you know, they, he should have healthier receivers. They got another kind of explosive guy in Wandale Robinson. Um, so I, I think you're just kind of betting that, you know, that, that gap, you know, I think he's still going to have that gap and have some, some of those bad games. But just kind of betting on the percentage of good games um, kind of increases under, you know, Brian Dable and this new coaching regime. You know, we saw uh, Dable do the same thing for Josh Allen and Buffalo yep. and even Daniel Jones. Like we've seen Daniel Jones put up some high upside performances. You know, his rookie year, he had three games with four or more touchdown passes. Um, he, had, he had a few 300 plus yard games. Uh, and we know he could do it with his legs as well. So there's a lot of different ways that we've already seen Daniel Jones produce upside in this league. And now I think um, you could take a very low risk bet uh, on him doing so again at a higher clip that he has in these past few years in what was just a bad situation. Yeah, he, it, he was going to be my pick if it wasn't Tom Brady. And he fits my number one tip, you know, a player with built in upside and high variance. Obviously, he's going to have some duds. We're well aware of that. But he has some massive upside. You know, he can have some uh, fluky games throwing the ball, you know, a few touchdowns. And he has a pretty significant rushing upside. Uh, so in, in this, you know, new scheme under Dable, uh, the sky's the limit for him. So love getting him outside of the, the top 20 for sure. Uh, all right, let's jump to running back. Who you got? Uh, it's Kareem Hunt. And he, he's really the ideal running back in basically all formats in the middle rounds. I, I always say he... Uh, A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, those kind of guys I really like to target in the middle rounds. Uh, but in best ball, you know, his ADP is running back 30. That's highway robbery. I mean, he will probably outscore that um, even if Nick Chubb is healthy all season. Uh, Kareem Hunt, he, hell, he was the RB8 after six games last year when Nick Chubb was fully healthy. Um, and then if and when Chubb were to miss time, Kareem Hunt is probably going to be a top five running back. So that's, that's what I'm talking about with built-in upside. He's going to have spiked weeks no matter what, but he can have some really spiked weeks if Chubb were to miss time. And also, you know, they might have to start Jacoby Brissett for the first four, maybe all 17 games this year, depending on Deshaun Watson. Um, so they could be an even more run-heavy team. And they, they do like to limit Chubb, you know, 15 to 17 carries a game. So Kareem Hunt could see a pretty big workload, um, even when they're both healthy. And there's a chance to get traded. 
uh, and he would end up in a situation where he'd be probably the workhorse back there. So there's just a lot of angles and outs to to hunt, just crushing his ADP at RB30 in best ball. Yeah, and one of his biggest assets, and it, it you know kind of goes under the radar. You know, we're not talking about as much, but that Cleveland O line is one of the best yep. in the league. Some people would argue it is the best. I mean, I know that the only you know they're kind of replacing the center, yeah, um, Nick Harris, but Nick Harris graded out pretty well in in Pro Football Focus. Um, you know, in in the limited time that he's been in action, and you know, so there's nothing to suggest that he will kind of be a a major weak link. And then they got Jedrick Wills and Batonio Teller Conklin at the other four spots. So, um, you know, there's going to be holes for, for Kareem Hunt to run through. Uh, for my running back, I'm going Damian Harris. You know, he's a guy that in regular redraft, I'm actually a little bit down on, but I think he's actually perfect for best ball because number one, he's got that breakaway ability. Like he had 33.3% of his runs come on break, you know, come on breakaways which was fifth in the league. And then he had five 100-yard uh, games and 15 overall games played. So about one-third of the time, he's breaking 100 yards. He also had uh, multiple touchdowns in 20% of his games. So he's a guy that week to week, and these are the kind of guys I like in best ball too at running back. Like week to week, he's going to be dependent on game script. But he has huge upside whenever they have good game script. The Patriots should be pretty solid in, in year two of Mac Jones. And so... You don't have to worry about those games where maybe he only carries like 10 times for 30 yards because the Patriots fall behind uh, early on in the game. But when the Patriots are having good games, you know, even if Stevenson does kind of cut into his workload, usually when the Patriots are rolling, they can support two running backs in like in like a win. Like the Patriots are one of the more high scoring teams in the league last year. That's why Damian Harris had such a big year um, and why I think he's getting a little overdrafted in, in some formats. But he's perfect for best ball. I was. You know, another guy I thought about was Rashad Penny, but uh, I think Harris actually has a little bit firmer grip uh, on the uh, on the starting job just because of his success last year. Um, you know, over in, in over kind of a longer period of time than Penny, who they Pete Carroll always seems to try to like phase <laughs> out, uh, and they drafted yeah. Ken Walker, obviously. So um, I, I like Damian. I you know don't love him in in redraft, but I, I do like him in best ball. Yep, love it. He's a high variance player. Anytime you have a guy that's more touchdown and game script dependent, mm-hmm. they're going to be more volatile. So, yeah, I love Harris as more of a best ball option where he can be kind of a headache and head-to-head trying to figure out when he's going to go off best ball. It doesn't matter. You're going to get those spike weeks no matter what. Yeah, and there's a few other guys that fit that mold. I mean, Penny, I think, is one. Elijah oh, yeah, Mitchell. Penny for sure. <laughs> Elijah Mitchell comes to mind yep. as well. Like All those guys that in redraft, you're kind of like, no, I don't know. Kind of frozen pond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that best ball, is the, the, the pond is... We, we could we could we can skate on the frozen pond in best. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's go to wide receiver. We got. So I I mentioned him earlier, but Marquez Valdez Scantling is sort of the poster child yeah. uh, for an ideal best ball wide receiver. I mean, he's a deep threat, so that in itself means he's going to be pretty volatile. You know, some weeks he'll go off for three catches, hundred yards, and two touchdowns. The next week he'll have zero catches. That doesn't matter in best ball. You don't need to figure out when that'll happen. Um, and, you know, he had a bit of a down year last year, uh, battling various injuries, and he still managed to finish uh, 46 in best ball points added per game uh, for wideouts that played uh, nine games or more. Um, so, and, you know, he's going from the Packers, the Chiefs, which isn't exactly a downgrade. He could be Patrick Mahomes' main deep threat, which is pretty valuable in itself. Uh, and apparently he's been pretty impressive in camp uh, so far. So, 
you know, he could be even more than just deep threat in this offense, which will help his his weekly floor. But either way, he's going to come loaded with massive upside every single week. So even though his ADP is a bit steep in best ball at wide receiver 44, I think it's warranted. And, you know, he's like I said, he's a guy you don't need to figure out when he's going to have a good week in best ball. You just get them. Yeah, and I mean, not that we believe in puff piece season, but <laughs> at least the at least the the puff pieces are there for Scantling. I, I've heard good things about Valdez Scantling uh, yep. coming out of camp. A lot of people saying he looks like he's the guy that stands out the most. Uh, it, it's not too, he's yeah he's talented. He's fast. Like I get that sometimes the puff pieces can be out of control, but I kind of figured uh, MVS would fit right in in Kansas City. Uh, for me, I'm going, and this is crazy. So Marcus Valdez Scantling is a wide receiver, 44 and ADP. Um, so, and he's obviously the poster child here, but yeah, I can get Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 47, three spots after MVS. I know that, you know, Baker Mayfield's out of, out of the running for the Seattle quarterback. And that's why those, these guys are in free fall, but Tyler Lockett, like, all right, first of all, five, 100 yard games last year, uh, Seattle's going to be bad. I don't, you know, I don't think that they're going to be great on defense. I don't think they're going to be able to, to run the ball a ton. They're going to have to be thrown at some point. And, you know, Tyler Lockett, even with Russell Wilson not at his best last year and missing some games, Tyler Lockett uh, outscored in terms of points per game and half PPR guys like Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Hunter Renfro, Jalen Waddle, DK Metcalf, CeeDee Lamb, AJ Brown, Brandon Cooks, Michael Pittman, DJ Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Amari Cooper, like Tyler Lockett wasn't like he didn't just fall off a cliff. The quarterback situation is not ideal, but um, I, I just think this is this is another situation where it's just crazy disrespect. He's going to be a high variance guy, obviously, now without Russell Wilson. But all the tools are still there skill wise uh, and target wise because he's real. It's just him and Metcalf, really. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Noah Fant obviously will, will be there at tight end, but I don't think he's factoring in in a major way in terms of Lockett or Metcalf's targets. So I think those two are going to be target hogs. So wide receiver 47 for a guy on a bad team that's going to have to throw um, and a guy who's put up big games in a pass and outscored a bunch of studs as recent as last year and really does it every year. Yep. Um, I, I love it at wide receiver 47. I don't, I don't have to worry about the games where Geno Smith or Drew Locke just overthrows him five times <laughs> in the same game because, you yeah. know, I got him at wide receiver 47. Exactly. And I, I mentioned him as uh, one of the high variance wide receivers that are perfect for best ball. Um, and yeah, he had that 12 catch 100, 142 yard game with Geno Smith under center. I think mm-hmm. even when Drew Locke's under center, I mean, Drew Locke sucks, but he can, <laughs> he can be, he can be a gunslinger, you know, Drew Locke takes risks. Sometimes they're not smart, but that doesn't matter to Tyler Lockett. So he, he'll definitely still have spike weeks with either Geno Smith or Drew Locke under center. And you just get him at a cheaper prices here because of it. So yeah, I love that call as well. And when he does have those spiked weeks, every single point matters. You know, when Tyler Lockett has those 40-point games in a head-to-head league, you know, you only need to beat your one opponent. So at a certain point, you know, the 40-point game can only help so much. But in basketball, every point matters. So when he has those two, like, massive games, uh, that's huge. So, yeah, last year he finished 10th uh, at wide receiver and best ball points added, according to my metric. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's the perfect type of guy to um, target in best ball. And let's finish it off with tight ends before we jump into stacks. Who do you like for best ball at, at the tight end position? So I think uh, Hunter Henry in that tight end 17 
um, range is perfect for best ball because, you know, he's, he's sort of a touchdown dependent, I guess you would say tight end. Um, you know, he had nine touchdowns last year, which tied for the most at, you know, the tight end position, but he had 10 end zone targets, which, you know, ranked inside the top two. So I, I think he'll be pretty stable uh, this year. He might not score nine, but I think, you know, six to eight might be a safe bet. Uh, but also, you know, week to week, um, towards the end of the season, he was running over 80% routes run um, over the last five games, and he was the tight end four over that stretch. So he was clearly the main tight end. I think we kind of thought it would be a committee with him and Jonu Smith, but he's he's the man there. And if, um, you know, they let Mac Jones air it out a bit more in year two, Henry's going to benefit. So, again, he's in that that sort of range where, yeah, he might be kind of annoying and head to hell. He's trying to figure out when he's going to score his touchdown or two uh, a game. So um, in best ball, it doesn't matter. You're going to get those spike weeks no matter what. Yeah, I love Hunter Henry. I, I think he's undervalued just across the board. And, yeah, this mm-hmm. is perfect because I think Mac Jones could take a step forward. Um, and you know, Hunter Henry, he, for whatever reason, it was just a Hunter Henry show last year. Like there was no John Smith barely like worked in. So I like me some Hunter Henry. I think people should be drafting him, um, pretty much, uh, everywhere. Uh, for me, I'm going to go Cameron Brait, uh, at tight end, tight end 23. And I mean, the crazy stat for Cameron Brait that really stands out is he was tied for ninth in the entire national football league last year in red zone targets. That was with Gronk on the team. (laughs) That was with Antonio Brown on the team. Sometimes that was with Chris Godwin there. That was with Mike Evans there. This dude had 20 red zone targets. That was, (laughs) he had 57 total targets. 20 of them. (laughs) 20. Like now, and now you're telling me he's going to get the tight end one snap. And, and like, this is a situation where it's like, even I know they got the rookie Kate Ott in there too, but like the, the, the likelihood is that if, if God would miss his time, maybe they go to more two tight end sets. I don't really see Bray losing the, the, the job this year because of how much they trust him where it matters on the field most. So they essentially use him to maximize his skill set, um, you know, and, and say, okay, you know, when it's time to score touchdowns, we're going to, we're going to get Cameron Bray in a game. Cause I mean, he had as many, I mean, this is, it's just absurd. He had as many red zone targets as Mark Andrews. <laughs> like Crazy. Like, it just, it, 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 he had as many red zone targets as Justin Jefferson. Right. It's Justin and, fucking Jefferson. Well, and, no one's going to confuse Cambrate with Kyle Pitts in terms of talent, right? Yeah, because he can actually but, score a touchdown. Right, exactly. Well, <laughs> but he's getting he's getting targets from Tom Brady, not Marcus Mariota. So that that is you know favorable for Cambrate. And you mentioned Kate Otten. That that's his only competition right now. They also lost OJ Howard. Yep. Um, on top of Gronk leaving, um, I would be a little bit more worried if they drafted you know Trey McBride in round two. But the fact that they waited, you know, round four to get Kate Otten, that bodes well, very well uh, for Cam Brate. So I have no idea why he's still just the tight end 23 right now. It's insane. I don't, I don't think people have looked at these red zone targets. And listen, I know red zone targets, not the easiest thing to predict year over year, but it, it makes sense, right? Tom oh, yeah. Brady, you're going to have, a, just like you said, we're talking about Tom Brady, like this guy has a ton of upside. They're going to move the ball up and down the field. And now they're going to need other guys to step up 
because you have no AB, because Godwin's going to be out. Russell Gay's not really a touchdown score. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got like eight right. or nine because of Brady, but um, I would be equally not as surprised if Cam Brake got eight or nine because of Brady. So, uh, yeah, really like me some Cam Brake at tight end 23. All right, let's go to the uh, the main event. Let's talk stacks. And, you know, we as we talked about it earlier, this is something I think you have to do in best ball uh, to not only differentiate your squad, but really kind of lock in that upside and, and that that correlated correlated production that's going to get you to the top. Because in best ball, you're again, you're self-explanatory. You're trying to be the best. Like you're not trying to just get to the playoffs. You're trying to be the highest scoring team in your league. And depending on how, you know, the different type of formats you're playing in that week could be, you know, 12 or it could be. 12,000, but either way, uh, you're trying to really maximize that upside. So I do think you have to stack your, your pass catchers. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to do uh, two of our favorite stacks each. So lead us off. Uh, so the first offense I love to stack is the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and, you know, part of it has to do with their changing their scheme. Um, they're moving on from a very defensive minded conservative head coach and Mike Zimmer to you know, more innovative Sean McVay disciple and Kevin O'Connell. So this this offense will likely mimic the Rams offense and be a bit more up-tempo, pass-heavy. And more importantly, you know, the, the targets are going to be heavily concentrated. They're not going to be rotating in wide receivers and tight ends. Um, so I love stacking Kirk Cousins with, hopefully you can get Justin Jefferson in the first round, but if not, guys like Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne are pretty cheap. Um, and Irv Smith at tight end. So I think, you know, drafting three or four of those guys on the same team uh, offers you massive upside because th- this offense should be a lot more fantasy friendly and they just don't have much competition with, you know, other guys on the roster. So that, I, I love that aspect as well, where, you know, all three receivers are probably going to be running over 90% routes run Irv Smith, hopefully will be over 70%. So these, all these four guys will be on the field most of the time. So I love stacking them up with uh, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I like that. You know, Kirk Cousins, I, I like investing in Minnesota in a variety of ways. I, I think, you know, on, on the betting tip, they mm-hmm. I think they're underpriced to win the, the division at plus 265. Kirk Cousins threw 68 touchdowns to 20 picks since Justin Jefferson came into the league. So I, I like that one a lot. I think I think with O'Connell, this this offense could blow up. I think Jefferson could have a Cooper Cup like season because oh, yeah. O'Connell <laughs> oversaw that. Um Adam Thielen seems to just not care about regression every year. It's just like, oh, Adam Thielen's going to regress. It's like, no, another, another double digit touchdown year for him. Well, yeah, Osborne <laughs> and Jefferson will get the ball down the field and Thielen will just catch the touchdown. Yeah, right. perfect. Uh, no, but I, I really like that one. And I, I should also mention as I get into my uh, number one stack that I think this is a time where you, you really want to invest in those pocket passers too. Like, and this is how you can kind of do it in a way that gives you some added upside, you know, because you're not always going to get a Jalen Hurts. You're not always going to get a, a Daniel Jones even late in the draft. You're not going to get those kind of guys with that rushing upside that we, that we love. And so one way around that is to, to increase the upside of your team is you take these pocket passers, but you stack them up. And so you're really kind of hoping for to get those, you know, two or three or four pocket passers that tend to pop. And, and jump into that top 12 uh, in production. And then they should give you enough spike weeks to get it done. Uh, so with that in mind, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Derek Carr. I, I just love that one. I think um, Derek Carr has, you know, played really well these last uh, couple of years, even I think um, remember last year, he had some monster games 
in terms of the yardage. And that was without Devontae Adams uh, here. So I, I really like that you can kind of, these guys are all going at, at different parts of the draft that you can kind of scoop up, you know, Adams in, in round two and Waller in round four and Renfro, Renfro in round six. And then, you know, Carr later on when, when you're drafting your quarterback. Um, so none of them, you know, you're not really have, having to reach to, to draft any of these guys. They're in such an explosive division where they play six games against uh, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and of course, Patrick Mahomes. So, and the defense probably still won't be that great. And on top of that, the last receiver who you can, you can kind of, uh, if, again, if you have that last roster spot open, you might even want to draft a, a Robinson or a Keelan Cole. But the whole thing is the, the, the target should really be concentrated among Adams, Waller and Renfro. Um, and that should be enough. So I really love Derek Carr um, with his top three. Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I can't believe you just recommended drafting Demarcus Robinson, but I think it helps. <laughs> it, it helps your stack because like, imagine he's in the, you know, 11 formation where he's out there running wind sprints, not getting yep. targets, just taking a defender with them. It's just going to even more concentrate targets to Adams, Renfro and Waller, which is what you want to stack. Like they can, take turns having a huge game, but you know, every week it's one of those two or three of those guys are going to give you production. So yeah, love the Raiders stack as well. What we got for your second one. Uh, so it's gotta be the Buccaneers stack, right? I mean, Tom Brady's a little too cheap right now. Um, Mike Evans is the, the most expensive <laughs> player to stack, but he's well worth it right now. Uh, I mean, he, he's going to have a massive season. He's an ideal best ball target in himself. I mean, he's a touchdown machine. Um, so the first, you know, few weeks where Chris Godwin's out, I mean, Evans is going to just go off. Um, you know, I like sneaking Russell Gage in there. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be a huge touchdown score, uh, but he should play that Antonio Brown role, get a ton of, you know, receptions, yards. Uh, and then Cam Bray right now, I, I just don't see the competition right now at tight end. So he's going to get, you know, the Gronkowski and OJ Howard targets that are left behind. I'm not too worried about K. Dotton. Uh, you know, they drafted him in the fourth round. He's a rookie. Um, so I just love how much more concentrated the, the offense is going to be and how they're a lot cheaper than they were last year. Yeah, uh, I love it. I mean, you're getting Tom Brady down there at QB 10. So really, you're just going to target Mike Evans early. And then mm -hmm. the other two guys uh, are going to be pretty easy to get. And like, yeah, I would, I would include Russell Gage in there. I mean, uh, I, I don't think you can go with Godwin just because it doesn't really fit the strategy. But um Love Brait and uh, and love e love Evans this year. I mean, I think Evans yeah. is another guy kind of going under the radar. I, I know he's going highly in drafts, but I As think he, he should be going even higher. He should As be going even higher. He just doesn't <laughs> yeah. ever disappoint. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I love it. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go with kind of the poor man's version of that. Uh, like with a quarterback who's kind of older and has MVP upside, but people are down on it. Even I'm down on a regular redraft. But I, I think I did mention this. This is how I'm going to attack Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be in best ball stacks because I can get Rodgers, you know, outside the top 10 quarterbacks and I can get any receiver I want outside the top 100 picks. Uh, or, or, you know, I know Lazard is, has been climbing in some weeks, but um, you're still getting him pretty late. So Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard, and the rookie Christian Watson are, are the three guys I think um, that I want to stack up. And I, I think you can actually, and this is one of the, one of the ones where you can get creative. now. If you like, you know, maybe Romeo Dubes, if you like Randall Cobb, if you think, you know, any of those guys are going to, or even Amari Rogers, you could take a last round pick on one of those guys. I don't think you have to, but there's a lot of flexibility in, in terms of who you um, use. I wouldn't use Tunyon because I don't know 
Um, I don't think we know when he's coming back um, and how good it'll be. And he wasn't very good last year, but I mean, even he's an option if, if we get um, word that he's going to play the full season, which I don't think so at this point, but you can also even use Aaron Jones. I think this is one of the exceptions because Aaron Rodgers had 40 touchdowns last year, 37 passing three rushing. So that's four, that's 40 touchdowns. Aaron Jones had 10 touchdowns. So like now, you're, I mean, there's just not many quarterback running back com- combos that can give you 50 touchdown upside. Uh, Rodgers and Jones can, and Aaron Jones caught six, six uh, receiving touchdowns last year. So uh, I think that's another way where instead of trying to figure out, you know, if you want to go with like a, a third receiver or somebody like that, I think you just go, you could go Aaron Jones. Um, you can get, and then you could get Rodgers. Lazard, I think, is going to be locked in to one of the top three roles, uh, probably top two. And then Christian Watson gives you that upside. Um, you know, Obviously, they went up to get him. I don't really think you need to mess with the slot guys because those aren't going to really give you, uh, you know, the, the yardage upside. Although we have seen Randall Cobb score a ton of touchdowns in the past, and, but that was when he was a lot younger. So don't know if that's going to repeat. So, yeah, like, like, like the Green Bay Packers stack, I think this is the way you attack it in best ball and redraft. It's a lot dicier where in redraft, I'm, it's kind yeah. of like more A.J. Dillon than anybody <laughs> yeah. else. I know you like Lazard, too, but for me, it's, it's, it's been more A.J. Dillon in redraft. And then in best ball, it's kind of the opposite. It's Jones, Rodgers, Lazard, Watson. No, yeah, I, I love this. And, um, you know, Rodgers, his ceiling is obviously uh, a lot lower without Devontae Adams and even Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned it earlier, you know, a guy like Rodgers, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling. The one way to maximize that or raise it is to include a couple of pass catchers. So I do love the idea because Lazard and Watson are so cheap. And let, let's face it, it's not like Rodgers is going to suck. He's not going to finish outside of the top 15. He's going to have his yards. He's going to have his touchdowns. So just like correctly guessing which two or three he's going to be targeting, um, you know, really raises the, the ceiling. So I think Rodgers might be a little bit of a reach, but you're going to get value with everybody else. And then as a group, I mean, the, the ceiling's massive. So that's that's what you're trying to do with, a stack uh, in general. So that's, that's why this is a pretty sneaky one. Yes, sir. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's going to do it for our best ball pod. That was some good stuff. Um, if you guys like the podcast, remember if you give us a five-star review on Apple, we will, uh, you will be in the running to receive a free year of an action network pro subscription with our, you know, season long weekly rankings, draft kit, all that good stuff. So um, be sure to do that. Uh, we really appreciate you guys for tuning in each and every week as we uh, as we start ramping up, headed toward the season. You can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. You can find me at Chris Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N. And you can find us at those same handles in the free award-winning Action Network app. Until next time, let's get this money.